Kelly Jane's in the country for a very short period of time. She's in Melbourne as a one-off. She's galvanizing supporters of the sort of gender critical movement together in one place. We've got a huge police presence to guarantee us this right to speak freely and have the event. Is it really the case that as soon as we saw someone that we could identify as a member of the what? Eight person strong and mostly under 18 years old National Socialist Network in the far left wing, secure and safe Victoria that we should run for our lives from this important one-off political event? What an absolutely ludicrous proposition. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me is Ricky Orbach. Ricky, are you an ethical person? Uh, yes. Well, I don't know that for sure. You could, that could, just, you could just be saying that. That's my truth. That is the truth. Well, I've decided to, based on things that I think you've done, hound you out of everything um, in your life. I don't want you to work again. I don't want your family to have any prosperity. And I don't know. You can just go and die. Oh, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking to return guest uh, Holly Balorford-Smith. Uh, always love talking to Holly. I think she might be my favourite Kiwi. Big call, yeah. It is big. B- bigger than Russell Crowe or? Yeah, I think, oh, I think I like her more than Russ. Oh, okay. That's a big call, yeah. 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 All right. Well, we always tell you the truth here at the New Flesh Podcast. And the truth is, we need your help. We need you to leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about an episode you like or maybe one you didn't. Please tell all your friends about the show. If they don't like what they hear, are they really your friends? John, does your wife listen to the show? Absolutely not. Then she's not your friend. I know, but she's my wife. What can you do? <laughs> On with the show. <laughs> Return guest and friend of the show, Holly Lawford-Smith is an associate professor professor, professor, in, professor in political philosophy at the University of Melbourne. Her work centres around social, moral and political philosophy with a particular interest in feminism, climate ethics and collective action. Her book, Gender Critical Feminism garnered much controversy for saying the unsayable. Holly's soon-to-be-published second book, Why Sex Matters, Essays in Gender Critical Philosophy, is in the works, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Holly, welcome back to The New Flesh. Thank you. You added a Y into my book title, which makes it sound better than it is, in fact. Oh, why why Sex Matters? (laughs) It's just called Sex Matters, isn't it? Yeah, but why sex matters is probably a better title. Well, so, se- okay. sex sells, they say. So, um, uh, well, look, Holly, I was reading on your website your censorship timeline, and uh, which is like a collection of your cancelings and deplatformings. And Joe, I'm starting to think that maybe I shouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> In case you catch it. Well, well I feel like, you know, I mean, Ricky, you don't know this. Um, Holly was also she was on a show called The Dissident, recorded a show, and the then The Dissenter, and it didn't um, it didn't get aired. Wow! I mean, what does that say when you go on a show called The Dissent The Dissenter, yes. and then he won't even put you on? Wow. What's going on? That's big. That's big. <laughs> that's that's like Pauline Hanson being booted you know, from that that from one Jessica Row. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's also pretty annoying because if you go to scroll the dissenters' YouTube channel, it's just white man after white man after white man after white man, uh, and then well, like this good. would have been a great opportunity <laughs> to pop, pop a bit of diversity in there, wouldn't it? And yes, a, yeah. a twofer because you kiwi, 
yes. and a woman. Yep. And lesbian. And lesbian. Oh, my God. A <laughs> intersectional <laughs> celebration. <right here. laughs> yeah. Oh. Alas, yeah. Mm. Well, so many academics publish a couple of papers, sleepwalk their way through some tutorials, and, and that's about it. But you've elected to go another way. Uh, is this how you thought it was going to go when you started your PhD? You mean ending up like this kind of controversial bigot? Or yes. What? Yeah. But no. because Ricky and I have done a bunch of tertiary studies, we had yes. in, in Perth we had the most boring lecturers and tu- tu- like tutorials, and it was just they are just the most uncontroversial people with nothing to say about anything, and they're, they're just clocking in. You know, yeah. they're just clocking in, putting in the timesheet, and going home. And... and literally, you are one of the more controversial people I've ever met, and you're so lovely too. So I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. I I guess I haven't come across that many of those type of academics that are just kind of clocking in. But I could, I can certainly think of the type that are wary of conflict, or indeed, um, just want to like just love philosophy or love reading, and just want to do the work. And so for them, it would be really off-putting to then have to face the kind of like just nastiness and toxicity and unprofessional debate. You know, you want to, you get only an hour of questions when you give a talk somewhere. And if you've got a hostile audience that is going to suck up all that time being assholes, that is just so unpleasant and off-putting. So I can kind of see why even the people who have the interesting ideas and could be doing more risky work just get put off and don't want the hassle of it. Um, so it's certainly a... a uh... It's a lifestyle, lifestyle choice. Well, it's a lifestyle <laughs> choice. Telling the truth. <laughs> Telling the truth is a life, lifestyle choice. Or at least, because that seems to be the difference, is that you you have made a choice along the way where you've said, as far as from the outside, you've said, uh, I'm going to uh, strive for intellectual honesty yeah. and I'm going to try and play a straight bat. And um, it seems like that is actually a, quite a tough road. I think it is a bit of a tough road. I'm not sure if it fully explains... I mean, like, I think one of the things with me is I get bored very quickly. So I have to like find something new to teach and um, maybe like a a normal person would just want to teach that same thing for five to 10 years because then it's lower prep and you can do more research time. Um, So that, but I just find that like stultifying and I almost feel embarrassed in the second or third year, like I'm kind of faking it somehow. but that still doesn't get us to the controversial stuff, right? That would just get us to like, I'm skitting all over the place, trying to learn a new subdiscipline and teaching it badly for the first three years while I while I get a grip on it. I, I don't quite know what what explains the con- getting in the controversial area and then staying there. I think that could really just be stubbornness or something. Like I don't like people telling me that you're not allowed to do that, and I'm I'm so incredulous at how they're behaving that I almost want to keep making them show that they're willing to behave like that. I, I don't know quite what to say about them. Maybe it's just, just the Kiwis sticking it to the Aussies again. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you going to make it about race? <laughs> you make it about race? Okay. Well, uh, Holly, b- before we dive into your new book, we have to ask you about the fallout from Kelly J. Keane's Let Women Speak tour, which you spoke at here in Melbourne. Uh, and for our listeners who may have been in a coma, uh, UK women's rights activist Kelly J. Keane uh, and her 
her tour hit our shores recently, which resulted in you know quite heated counter protests. Uh, neo-Nazis gate crashed the event well that happened in Melbourne uh, in her New Zealand uh, version of the tour there was violence uh, several people who attended and, and spoke at the Melbourne event were, were borderline fired from their jobs yourself included so Holly broadly speaking uh, what the fuck happened Whew. yeah what the fuck happened at the event or what the fuck happened in the aftermath of oh, the event. Well, the whole thing was just a circus, wasn't it? I mean, take, take Melbourne, for instance, because I think Melbourne was, was, was the turning point. Everything ramped up after Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the Kiwi activists were sort of emboldened a bit by what, what happened in, in Melbourne. And again, because those... And Hobart. And, and Hobart as well, yeah. And, and because those neo-Nazis gatecrashed the whole, the whole thing, I think that, that made it worse. And I think... Um, yeah, I guess gave them more license to to get off the chain uh, and and harass Kelly J. Keane. I think that's um, right. Yeah, uh, I think you know there's been this kind of global trans activist movement behaving really badly about gender critical feminism the whole time, and of course they're just gleeful to get fresh ammunition. And mm. what more delightful! ammunition than a neo-nazi wow what luck right because yep. now they can really like ramp up the insults and the viciousness and the toxicity now you're not just like anti-trans or um in some convoluted pathway racist you're you're a fascist now you're a, mm. a nazi or you're a neo-nazi you're complicit in genocide now. Mm. What the fuck? <laughs> so it's just like, wow, what? Yeah, great for them, right? So, and I think unfortunately, normally where it's just these like small group of activists acting what most people can see as hysterically, unfortunately in Melbourne, you got people with real authority jumping on the bandwagon. So you had reputable media outlets repeating these claims. You had high profile politicians yeah. repeating these claims. You had people giving media interviews and proudly delivering the contents of a fake Wikipedia page. Like, so I think the, the, what do you call that? Like collective derangement or something. It was just such a, like a mob thing that it became quote unquote, the truth in Melbourne for about two weeks. Yeah. Right. And it's had such a huge fallout in terms of professional repercussions for the people that were speaking there or even some people that were just there listening um it's completely mad yeah. it's 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 interesting i i seem to well from my experience i think weren't turfs called nazis before this whole thing happened i feel like that that was a slur that was thrown your way before there were actual neo-nazis at any events Ah, uh, look i am notorious for having a short-term memory especially when it comes to offensive things i think i just <laughs> block them out so it's possible but i would say given what i believe now with my short-term memory or whatever i don't think i've ever been called a nazi um and yeah maybe there's a few like extremists on twitter who are just like ludicrous and call everyone anything they can. I'm, I'm sure that has happened, but I can't think of it having been like a common thing that we were called. I mean, it, it's just so preposterous. Mm. I mean, it's preposterous now because what is even the insult? A neo-Nazi stood near you. That's the claim. They stood near you. Yes. Mm. No smoke without fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying, Holly. 
<laughs> it's just so mad. And then what I guess the reasoning is like, yeah, if one stands next to you, you have to run away. And if you don't run away, you must love them. So, yeah. ah, ha, ha, Nazi lover. Something or, or, like that. Or, or you have to punch them or get into a fight with them or something. You know? Right. Like, like that's ever going to happen. You know? Right. I mean, that's crazy. But, but knowing how things panned out, w- would you do it all over again? Would I go to let women speak? Would you, would you speak at, at the rally if you knew everything you know now? Yeah, of course. It was a great day, actually. I mean, I think Kelly J is amazing. Um, I think the event itself, like this is something that got so messed out in all the like reporting and commentary. It was an amazing day. Like we, there's some brilliant speakers, people that were like so passionate, all these women and, you know, some male supporters as well. So like happy to have this occasion to come together on this topic. And there is a real like joy in when people whose speech is suppressed and restrained can speak like and can be together and sort of like support each other or reinforce each other and there's a sense in which i know the police are getting some criticism at the moment for like parading the neo-nazis around but they also kept us safe so we managed to have this event that other cities and countries didn't even get to have so yeah i would do it all again (laughs) like it was great and i'm really glad i got to meet kelly J and I, yeah, I had a really good time. It's just a shame that it was so twisted in such an ugly way in the aftermath. Doesn't sound like much of an apology to me, Holly. Not yet. <laughs> she said, it's great. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> I'd do it again. I, I believe they call that doubling down. Doubling down. Yeah, I did not denounce. I have not denounced neo-Nazis. Yeah, I haven't. Well, so I, I, look, maybe just to finish on, on I see, I found the whole thing uh, really interesting. You may, you've already mentioned the media representations and some from the outsiders because, I mean, we knew a lot, uh, some of the higher profile speakers like, like yourself and we'd interviewed some of you. And so, I mean, you're a philosopher. The media representations that we got from the ABC, the packages we got in, from the West Australian, from all of these outlets uh, of, of the key figures and events, they so by my lights, they, they didn't accord with the facts or, or, or they were really fast and loose. How do we square this? Like, how, like I'm just having a really naive time, you know, figuring out how these, these hot takes um, weren't um, sort of debunked or, or how, why these people didn't, you know, bother to, to listen to any, any of the podcasts where they could, they could have heard some of these people speak yeah. at yeah. length and gone, oh, it doesn't really wash with what I've heard, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess one problem is that anti-trans is an opinion rather than a description. And so that could easily catch on, right? Your first few outlets report Kelly J as anti-trans. And it's actually interesting because the the ABC just gave a response to, I think, like complaints or whatever. And they, one of the things they said in their reasoning was like, so many outlets com- like media outlets commonly refer to Kelly J as anti-trans. So it was mm. like they're sort of relying on the authority of other yeah, reporting. It's the same as when the, when you go, look, I don't know what you're complaining about. Everyone in the class says Alison's a slut. <laughs> yeah. She's a total slut. She said it. She said we're all Everyone saying it. Everyone says it. Yeah, <laughs> we're exactly. All saying it. Exactly. It is that reasoning. So I think once that's caught on and once it's kind of defensively opinion rather than false information descriptively um it's hard to get leverage on like complaining against it right 
um, Kelly couldn't bring a defamation claim, for example, if it's just the description anti-trans rather than something that's like really an empirically false claim about her. So I guess there's just kind of sloppy journalism together with an entrenched viewpoint where there's not much like critical assessment of it on trans issues in the Australian media. And that's a shame, but it's also like where the UK was in 2018 or whatever, and they did manage to kind of claw their way through that. So I think, unfortunately, we're just seeing that Australia has like a long way to go before we have like a reasonable balanced debate on trans issues. Mm. Well, I, I, I don't think we're going to get it from the ABC for a long time. I mean, we, we interviewed Kit Kowalski yeah. uh, a number of weeks ago, and she's done a lot of work uh, delving into ACON, which is the AIDS Council of New South Wales. And they've basically set up a, a scheme very much like the Stonewall Diversity Champions. And the ABC is is one of their their biggest, uh, what's the word, Ch champions, or I, they've got some sort of gold status within that, within that scheme. So they're they're incentivized to, you know, to 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 not report on on any sort of gender issues uh, with a critical lens at all. So um, I know that's sort of opening up a can of worms talking about Acon in this particular episode, but. Yeah, I think something's got to happen with that organisation. Someone's got to shed light on that, like like Kit is trying to do before yeah. before the ABC is ever going to to report on on some of this stuff ac accurately. No, I think that's right, and it's a shame because there was that Media Watch episode that kind of mentioned this connection, and we also had an event late last year at Unimob um, about Acon's involvement in universities and public institutions. But nothing seems to have really come of this kind of critique. Like, it's really hard to get anything at all up. And then it's like, okay, there's this episode of Media Watch. Great. Oh, we're having this event. Maybe that'll start a discussion. Then things just go back to how they were. So no one's mm -hmm. pulled out of Acon, even though in the UK they managed to get enough momentum with their podcast that they got people pulling out of Stonewall. So, yeah, again, I think we've just got a lot of work to do here. Well, maybe before we dive into to the personal repercussions of your speaking at at the at at the uh, Let Women Speak tour, uh, perhaps for for the benefit of our audience, you, you could expand on your academic background and and what it is you teach at, at Melbourne Uni. Oh yeah, so I'm a political philosopher. Um, I teach a range of subjects that uh, probably sound pretty woke, like <laughs> climate ethics and ethics of immigration and feminism and um, stuff like that. Ethics of immigration? <laughs> that sounds amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I guess everything is just like um, philosophy kind of asking questions about, yeah, the concepts or the like moral arguments or the political sort of trade-offs. Um, so the official name of the immigration course is freedom and equality across borders so it's all sort of about that's yeah. a work title yeah it's a work title <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that so that's my sort of teaching profile and then research uh when i moved here from the uk i was working on collective action stuff um thinking about the state and like citizens culpability when states go rogue and do crazy things and then yeah i think i just got really sucked into this sort of uh, issues around gender critical feminism that had just been sort of kicking off in the UK. And since then, I just kind of went all in. So I've been doing that for about the last six years. What do you think? This is totally unrelated. Well, it is related, but it's, but what do you think of people like that, uh, the band member from Kiss, who just like the other day, you know, writes a, a missive like the, the debate just started 
five minutes ago. <laughs> yes. do, you, do, you, do you read that and do you just want to sort of DM him and go, bro, <laughs> just talk to me first. What are you sending this out for? Well, no, because I've seen that happen the whole time and people felt that way about me when I came in. I mean, so think of someone like Julie Bindle, who I think wrote a media piece in 2004, if I remember. It's either 4 oh or 14. God. I can't remember which one. I'd need to fact check that. But it was very early. And then, you know, other people came along. So it's happened almost every, like, month that the people that have been doing it for ages are like, oh, here's this newbie thinking they've discovered like a whole new topic. And so I think we all just come in sort of swaggering but and thinking. There was no trans stuff mentioned in 2004 though, right? I mean, I'll just fact check right now, but I'm pretty sure it was. Ricky, that, that would be very early. Ricky, if I went back in time when you were just listening to John Mayer and having a good time yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, and I just started moaning on about trans people and about that women, that your girlfriend you know, is is just the same as a trans woman. Why don't you date a trans woman? I kept, kept on it. You were at a party. What would you say? 2004. I, I think you were on something. <laughs> well, I'm like, what has what John been sniffing? You know? It was 2004. It was. Oh, wow. The article was God. called Gender Benders Beware in The Guardian, 31st oh of January God. 2004. This is like that picture at the end of The Shining where Jack is, is there at the, at the Overlook Hotel and it's like 1923. You know, and you go, how? How is yeah. this possible? The, night, the nightmare's <laughs> always been there, you know? Yes. I think Kathleen Stock must have had either Julie Bindle or one of Julie's friends mention, like, I don't know that this is the history, but Kathleen wrote a piece on Medium called When Bindles Speak, and it was about this 14 years ago opinion column in The Guardian. So I suspect what happened there was that, like, Kathleen felt kind of new to it but thought it was... Do you know what I mean? Like she, she She's was like, new in philosophy. She was the one bringing it up in philosophy, but then she would also have learned, oh, no, this has been going on for ages. <laughs> like so these... then it really did just turn out to be like a, 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 a incantation that you read out and like and whenever you read it out, the spirits come, you know, like it doesn't matter whether it's 14 years. It doesn't matter whether it's 50 years. If you read out, the, if you say the words, if you go, trans women aren't women, then it just goes... <laughs> They just come for you. <laughs> this is a horror movie. This sounds like a horror movie. Well, I guess, but but that that sounds like the critics come for you, right? Whereas I think what we're talking about is like the women who have been there working on it the whole time come a little bit annoyed that they're not getting any credit because we've been oh, talking yes. about this for ages, right? Yes. Like, yes. so it's yes. it's on our side in a way. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think now it's become a real like. I think that was always the case in feminism, but it's especially the case now that it's like it's very important to like give credit to the, those who came before you. Like it's yes. a real norm now. I, I, know, I think you should, you should definitely have to do it. Like when you're hundred percent canceled, you've lost everything. You're working, you're working at Subway now, but you should still have to give, <laughs> you, know, you know, credit due, yeah. to these people. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. that, that's interesting. Cause when we, when we interviewed Joe Bartosh, um oh a couple of months ago now uh when um when the what is a woman documentary came out she was really pissed off that you know this bloke just comes along you know what is it 2022 <laughs> and he's like hey you know what's up with all this trans stuff and you know she's like what are you talking about us feminists we've been talking about this for fucking decades like yeah. why don't you talk to us he yeah. did the he did the white cis version so the male cis version of um Slay, of slaying chicks in a pool dressed as a woman 
you know, like like Leah Thomas style. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just as bad. He just, he rolled in yes. and he's just like, I'm taking all the medals. I'm taking oh, the medals. I see what you're, sorry, I passed slaying as like a horror movie and that was all playing out in my head and now I get what you've been. Sorry, Holly, sorry about that. It, was, it made a lot more sense in my head. Don't <laughs> no, worry. I, yeah, now that I get it, it makes a lot of sense. But at the time. Look, anyway, it's bad behavior. So people have been trying to cancel you for a while now and um, after your attendance at the Let Women Speak Tour, Posters started popping up on campus uh, at Melbourne University, which read as follows. Are you on the side of fascists? Professor Holly Lawford-Smith spoke at the Let Women Speak rally, advocating against the existence of trans people. She began her speech by making fun of Lily Elbe, who transitioned in a German clinic destroyed by Nazis. A large group of men from the proudly fascist National Socialist Network who attended Sig Heiling... If fascists join you, you should ask them to leave. If they don't leave, you leave. If you don't leave, you're one of them. Lawford Smith teaches feminism, Phil 20046, in the 2023 winter term. There has been an indisputable history of transphobia in the subject. Do not support fascists and bigots. Boycott this subject. Really great dramatic reading, and I'm sorry that the listeners missed your face during that because you did really good eyeballs. Well, that's just how I imagine cultural yeah. studies people speak. <laughs> so, uh, yes, first of all, what's your response to the claims in this poster? I mean, I think it's pretty open and shut, but I'd like to hear what you what you think. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say it's a little uh, overblown. That'd be a fair description. I I didn't make fun of Lily Alba, but I did tell a fun story involving Lily Alba. I would say my feminism subject is just a feminism subject. So I don't know what this so-called indisputable history of transphobia means. I think it means she teaches feminism as if it's a subject about females. I think that's what it means. So I guess if that's an indisputable history of transphobia, then that is true. Uh, but that would be great. That would be a good, you should be a transphobe if that means you get to talk, you should talk about female people sometimes, if that's what it means. What about this claim? If fascists join you, you <laughs> ask them to leave. If they don't leave, you leave. If you don't leave, you're one of them. You're a, you're a philosopher, so lay that out for me. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, as, it as applied to the Let Women Speak event, um, you would have to presumably know that someone was a fascist uh, in order to have known that they had joined you and that you therefore faced the choice of leaving or having become one of them. And that unfortunately was not the case at the Let Women Speak event. What we had was some dudes in some pretty cute short shorts and bucket hats and black t-shirts who looked a lot like Antifa and most people assumed were. So I guess I would say that choice was not really presented to us. And now I guess this is not an original point, but it was made many times on Twitter in the aftermath. If you did know that someone was a fascist, wait, this is the punching claim. Tell me the, tell me the rhyme again. You, if fascists join you, you ask them to leave. If they don't leave, you leave. If you don't leave, you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, sorry, I was confusing it with the sort of punch them if you get the chance move, which mm. is, which is oh, elsewhere. You could have done that, but... I mean, say we had known, this might be, I don't know what you guys think of this, but say we had known, we didn't know, but say we had known, Kelly J's in the country 
for a very short period of time. She's in Melbourne as a one-off. She's galvanizing supporters of the sort of gender critical movement together in one place. We've got a huge police presence to guarantee us this right to speak freely and have the event. Is it really the case that as soon as we saw someone that we could identify as a member of the what, eight person strong and mostly under 18 years old National Socialist Network in the far left wing, secure and safe Victoria, that we should run for our lives from this important one-off political event? What an absolutely ludicrous proposition. <laughs> I guess I'm disagreeing with the poster's central territory. But it, it also speaks to, to, to some people's derangement over this. There are some people, particularly in Melbourne, who just believe that there are scores of Nazis everywhere. You know, what? It, yeah, on it, what it is evidence? Such, Exactly. It's such, you know, I'm sure that sure neo-Nazis exist and, you know, we saw them at the rally, but they are such a small percentage of yes. the Australian population that they're almost not even worth mentioning. I agree with you. I, I completely agree. And I think we have some evidence about how many there are, because what what was it that I'm forgetting which channel, Channel 9 or Channel 7? One of them did an undercover investigation of the Melbourne National Socialist Network and did this documentary that's now available on Stan. And so you get a sense of how big that group is. They sent an undercover person in to infiltrate the group and kind of get a sense of the membership. It was like 15, 15 or so people, I think. And you saw that in the turnout. There's a million photographs of them. There's like 15 of them at the most. Most of them are super young, and that's clear in the documentary too. These are like disenfranchised young kids. That guy's essentially grooming them. So he's grabbing them when they're like 17 and angry and then like, training them in the gym so they get like good physiques it's not even really about the racism right so the whole thing is That's pretty queer <laughs> <laughs> i mean the whole thing is pretty odd like when you watch the documentary what that group is actually about whatever maybe it's just like some bizarre sense of community but yeah is this a serious threat in victoria I just find that it's like people are pouring all their emotional energies into like punching at shadows instead of like dealing with the things that are actually like a threat to our democracy or our political life. Um, yeah. Well, I'm interested in from an ethical position, you know, about the, 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 the personal people who made this poster and the claims they're making. So, so what are we saying here? Is it, is it that, is it, is it right or correct to wish for people who disagree with you to be fired in every case or, or to be, I think, because I'm actually trying to work through what they, what, the, what, the, what they want and I'm assuming what they want is you to go away and to go away that means to be, um, I don't know, reduced load, essentially, event, essentially or eventually fired uh, and then God knows what else uh, and never to work again, never to have any anything good happen to you ever again or whatever. So I'm mean, I'm just wondering, is it right? Um, under what what circumstances is it right to wish for people to wish this on someone uh, who who you disagree with, rather than put a name to your what you've got to say as well? I noticed it wasn't signed by anyone in, in particular, so they're not that proud of to be on the right side of history. I would have thought you'd be pretty you'd be yeah. fairly certain of your views. You know, you'd say, well, I am Rosa Parks after all. So, you know, I will, the truth will out. Like, here we go. This is my moment. But so what's the ethics of this? What, what, what are we looking at here? Um, yeah, I think it's right that they want me off campus. I mean, the current posters just kind of say that people should boycott my subject, right? So um, 
then I guess the goal would be that like no student would be willing to take my course. So it would become infeasible for the university to give me any teaching at all. But the other posters that were more associated with the Trans Day of Visibility protest that literally had item one, TERFs and Nazis off campus. So yeah, I think that probably is their goal to sort of put enough pressure and um, whatever to and, make and, it. And, and since there's no Nazis at Melbourne University, <laughs> it's like I want um, I want uh, every Nazi um, and Ricky off this podcast. <laughs> and then you go, okay, well, I think you just want Ricky off it. <laughs> like this, it's very clear what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the ethics of that? I mean, we would hope for a student population who are able to understand the value and importance of a university, the value and importance of the role of academic freedom within that university, which means staff having the freedom to decide what to teach on what terms. You hire in people who are who are excellent, at, at least good universities have the luxury to do that, and then, and then you trust them after that. That's the end of the story. Um, so it's up to them what they teach and how they want to teach it. And so too for research. So if those people are, especially like if the research itself has proven it's with an excellent publisher, it's been through peer review, it makes it into good journals, for example, on what authority does an undergrad come along and then say, I hate this person's views, I disagree with this person's morals, this person has to get off campus because I am offended, I am hurt, I have different views. I mean, that, just the entitlement and audacity of that. It's really outrageous, but the sad thing is it just shows so much ignorance about, yeah, the role of a university in a democracy and how important fighting for academic freedom and freedom of speech is for all of us. And one day it's going to matter for them as well. Uh, and they stood against it. I think I just find that really sad. It makes me want to like, I don't know, make like political philosophy 101 mandatory <laughs> just so you can tell everyone about it, how important this is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by the university environment you're in at the moment. Uh, a lot of these trans rights activ activists are, are prone to violence or at least promoting it, encouraging it. And, and we've seen this in, in, in Melbourne and particularly in New Zealand. What, what's it like for you teaching at, at Melbourne Uni at the moment? I mean, do you feel safe? I wouldn't say I feel safe. I've certainly like restricted my... Uh, I, I feel torn about saying this because I don't want them to like listen and then be gleeful <laughs> like that they've had some win but it's true that I've sort of restricted my sphere of movement I kind of just come in at a certain entrance and go to my building might do my teaching which is either in my building or very nearby and then sort of leave so I'm not kind of walking around the whole campus or going to get lunch at that place that's across campus or just meeting people and sitting out I don't know if that's reasonable or if I'm being paranoid, right? So I certainly know that there is like escalating violence against gender critical people. I know they can get a lot of credit on social media after what happened in Auckland, like throwing tomato soup over someone or maybe trying to punch someone like that happened to Julie Bindle in Edinburgh a few years ago. And she was, the guy was restrained by security luckily, but it was very much like a near miss. So I don't feel safe, but that doesn't mean I'm actually unsafe physically. I mean, I might be perfectly safe. I think security think that I'm perfectly safe. Um, and I, I, I sort of trust their judgment, but I, I certainly am restricting my, my movements. Um, but everything else is kind of normal. Like I'm just going on with my job as I normally would. And, and there's a sense in which things feel very normal when I'm not like walking around and confronting posters. So I, and normally I don't really see them. So I'm just getting other people texting like, Hey, this is what's up along the like 
this bit of campus or something. But if I put a poster up with someone's name on it, like name calling, uh, naming you by by well by name, yeah. Uh, if I did that for anybody I know, any I mean all the normies I know, if I did that, it would ruin the entire year for them and be and beyond. Like like they got. I mean I think you're you're handling it like a champ, but that's just that's a level of of um, uh, persecution and intimidation that you have had to uh, come to come to terms with and just accept uh, an ever increasing amount. And you've had to put it on a scale and say, "Well, I wasn't punched. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it's true. Well, I yeah. wasn't souped, yeah. or you know, or, or whatever." Then you go, "Well, they just name me on a poster." But seriously, and, and think about it, your family or anyone you know just who works at a normal job, and you say, "Okay, I've just put I, in the middle of the night. I've just put posters up everywhere telling that you know, don't hang out with Ryan. He's a Nazi <laughs> and whatever." It would seriously that they would never stop talking about it. They'd be like that. They would just be so. I mean, it's um, it's crazy stuff. It's true. It's crazy stuff. I agree. And you're right that there's a sense in which you just sort of, yeah, you're like the frog slowly boiling to death in the pot or whatever the metaphor is. Like it happens slowly and you just sort of get accustomed to it at each point. And then, and I do think I tend to do that, like very much relativize things to like the whole history of the world. So I'll just be like, oh, well, it kind of, yeah, but I'm lucky that I wasn't a suffragette, right? Like getting ar- arrested and force fed. Like I think <laughs> that true. quite often. So somehow I have this like very like, yeah, long, long scale. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> like, things could be. Um, but yeah, of course you're right. Like it's a very unusual and, and intimidating thing. And I think it really escalates it that it's not just that they've named me, but it's like they're, they're targeting my students. So they've named me and then they've put those posters up outside my lecture theater. So the students in my class have to walk past that, see their lecturer or their supervisor being named, called a fascist and a bigot, and see that the students themselves are being encouraged to like boycott my classes. So it's it's made, like I know this for a fact because a certain student said to me after a class, oh, I just wanted to let you know there's these posters. Um, I've been worrying the whole class about whether I should tell you or not. Like I didn't want to ruin the lecture for you by what, you know? And it was like now they're being caused anxiety worrying about like whether to tell me and whether I already know. And like, that is so shit. Like that, that is so shit that they have to feel like that and that they have to sort of feel torn about it or like bad on my behalf or that just, they should not be dragged into that at all. Um, Has it had an impact on attendance? Have, have, have students dropped out or, or, or I guess you wouldn't know if they, they initially didn't even sign up for it, but, but do you think it's having an impact on that side? Well, I mean, we we sort of would know because the Let Women Speak event happened in about week three, I think, of oh, our semester. Before the, uh, uh, before the financial cutoff. <laughs> before the yes, census yes, date. Yes, yes, yeah. That's true. But I haven't noticed much of a, like, withdrawal from my other classes. I mean, I could check that, but I, I at least have it. Nothing has been, like, visibly detectable that there was a sort of large withdrawal and certainly nothing more than normal. I mean, 10% or so people shifting around and withdrawing would be normal. But the interesting question will be feminism in the winter term because that is the course that's being targeted all around campus. Um, so I think we're currently at lower enrollments than we've had in previous years, but I think also enrollments are down, so that's not necessarily about my subject 
And I haven't got the data yet on whether like there's been a drop since the campaign started. That's the thing that I need to find out. Mm. Um, I'm hoping that it will be like some students get freaked out and pull out, but some students are like, ooh, sexy, intrigued, Definitely, controversial. Yes. <laughs> I, I would do it because yes. of yes. the stuff you're saying. So it sounds way, way cooler than a lot of the units yeah. I've taken in the past, like case studies in communications, <laughs> you know. I'd rather but do, do your you one. think? I wonder if, like, the people who, the kinds of people like you who would be enticed by that, are so put off by the idea of feminism. You know, I wonder if feminism has a reputation for being such a like woke subject, mm. which is not how I teach it, and it's never how I've taught it. I just teach analytic philosophy applied to women's issues. But I wonder if it's like the very people who would be enticed. Or sort of want to support free speech or whatever. Well, as my lived, you're asking for my lived experience, Holly. So <laughs> I'll give it to you. I, I, every time I've done a unit where I knew I was uh, outnumbered completely, I did a fairy tale unit, which in um, literature is what is it? Ninety eight percent chicks who are all who all love Disney, um, and then you know what I mean. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was. I knew not to say much. And I knew not to be. I didn't go in there and say and wearing my Matt Walsh like lumberjack shirt and stuff. <laughs> I didn't. I kept it low key, you know. So, if someone's going to be taking your feminist course, someone like me or Ricky, they'd be sitting up up the back. I think with shades on. But you think they would? You think that they would take it? They wouldn't be put off by the idea. That I it's did it as a mature feminism. ager. That's the thing. So yeah, um, it's hard to know. A mature ager definitely would love what you're doing because they've come back searching for cool stuff. You know, yeah. I, t- I did some philosophy units precisely for that reason, and which is why I'm so confused as th- this whole thing because you know, how, how are you going to deal with with anything Peter Singer says if if you're worried about all this bait like all the all the 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 trans claims and all the stuff they're worried about the the, in that philosophical debate is i mean peter singer says massive stuff about like how you know what what's personhood and if you think personhood is intelligence then it's is it okay for us to euthanize uh euthanize um uh, disabled people for instance you know i mean this is just basic stuff like you would just be drummed out of the thing straight away if you were like i'm really offended right now and i'm gonna write a big facebook <laughs> article about uh, what a you know what a meanie peter singer is yeah it would be like great philosophy's not for you goodbye yeah. no i know and th- this is it's such a thing i'm kind of grappling with it actually like as of yesterday because i've i've been so confident in philosophy students like i I think our discipline is like rock solid. We've got a few, again, small number of like disproportionately vocal, like whatever, doing stupid gender studies type stuff in the discipline, fine. But philosophy in general, like our disciplinary norms, they're really solid. Like we believe in truth, singular, like we are, we have really good sort of like norms and principles for what a good argument looks like. We inculcate really good norms in students about like, being charitable to each other and building strong arguments and like how to have respectful, difficult discussions. So I've like, I've always been really sure of like our students are not the ones behaving like this. And yesterday the student journalist told me that she has interviewed some of the people behind the poster campaign and they claim to be philosophy students. And this just like, I just didn't, I don't believe it. Like I don't believe it. But I don't know whether I'm being like willfully like not wanting to give up my picture of the state of philosophy. So I'm like not believing something I should. She didn't have proof, by the way. She had not verified that claim. 
And of course, activists would have an interest in lying because that's a much worse thing. Oh, we've been in her class and she was a bigot and I saw it. That's a powerful claim. But if it's true, then like my whole sort of faith in what we've managed to to do in philosophy or in philosophy at Melbourne, like is really shaken. I really want, if that's true, if they are philosophy students, I, I would do anything for them to publish their their student papers on the internet please can i read i need to know <laughs> what they think about thomas aquinas i need to know i'd have desperately have to know because i would read i mean there is no way you can write that silly poster and engage with anything serious like, no like, i agree with you i agree with absolutely you. That, not that it's yeah. i it's just so improbable to me like yeah anyone who has done unless it's like because sometimes for um, winter and summer intensives, you get breadth students. So it's people that haven't done philosophy and don't have it as a major, but just need the course credit. And so they take any course anywhere to get the credit. It's possible that like one or two people like that took feminism and it was their first philosophy subject and it clashed with their values. And now they're part of this kind of like poster campaign. That's technically possible. But again, yeah, I was like, I didn't, I tried not to let on, but I was like really upset about that idea that like these were actual philosophy students who have taken like, who are majoring or who kind of, yeah, are having these debates on other topics, but somehow, I mean, they were making claims like, you know, I, I made unsafe and it's symbolic violence for you to list Sheila Jeffries in the readings. Like in the recommended reading list, all you had to do was lay eyeballs on the title Mm. And it's symbolic violence. Wow! Like what the actual fuck? But but but, but also, let's be real. You could just say you could you could just listen calmly and say, "And have you read Sheila's work?" And they go, <laughs> "Well, no, but but it's just of the it's the do. vibe, it's the vibe <laughs> of it all." But you know, like they never do the reading. They no, don't. They don't read. Of they so I mean, there's so we we spoke to another guest about this recently about about disagreeing well and and being like. Um, respectfully objectionable like so there's something beautiful about knowing the text really really well and hating it yeah. like that's there's something really di the disciplined about that it, it's like that scene in mosquito coast where where harrison ford he, he meets some evangelist guy and he just tears him to shreds because he and he can he can uh he i know can chapter and verse yeah he knows, knows chapter and verse he can recite the bible to this guy so he knows it inside and out and, and you respect a guy like that you know but these people don't read any of that they're not reading the recommended readings they're not even reading the, the main readings <laughs> That's right. no of course they're not but then yeah. yeah the the audacity to then complain about the course in such a vocal way I mean, like, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it just turns out to be an outright lie that they weren't in the course at all and someone's leaked the course guide to them. But even if they were in the course, yeah, I'm sure they haven't like read all that stuff and constructively and fairly engaged with it. They would have heard on Twitter or some other social media that Janice Raymond said this or Sheila Jeffrey said this. And then they run with that as like, oh, how terrible, how hurtful, how awful. They sound like gossipy teenagers to me. Well, perhaps let's leave the, 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 the whole controversy there and, and start to dive into your new book, which, which we'd love to talk to you about. Yes. Um, but maybe before we dive into it, I, I have a question, um, which you tackled in your previous book. Why does feminism have to be about everything? Because it seems like right now there's a push for it to cover all social activism courses from, from racism to, to climate change. Do you mean why do people who are not me that say feminism yes. is for everybody or about everything think well that it I, I guess be. I guess that, that there's a certain strain of feminism that 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 uh, 
you know, thinks it's it's ever expanding and, and that feminism can tackle all sorts of uh, social activism causes under that one one umbrella. One thing that is kind of charitable on what they're trying to do would be that, like, some of the second waivers, I think, really thought of feminism as, like, revolutionary in the sense of, like, getting toward a new humanism. So they, they didn't just see it as their job to, like, make things good for women. They saw it as their job to, like, make a microcosm of the kind of society that like we everyone would want to live in like it's egalitarian and it's good and it has everyone has enough money and i don't know so that that thinking of the utopia that has no oppression um rather than just thinking about what it would take to like alleviate women's oppression so i guess that that's one thing to say about how we got to this like why is it about everything yeah, maybe because feminism is the wrong word, but what what that strand has always been aiming at is just like justice, right? Like justice for all or egal- global egalitarianism or something like that. It's just unfortunate that this word feminism does strongly suggest some connection to to women. Well, it's it's become so broad now. It 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 encompasses men too now, though. Yes, yeah. but so, it w- but it would if it's humanism, right? Mm-hmm. But because yes. yeah, it's like anyone who's you badly off. You can't keep off. us out, Holly. You can't keep <laughs> us out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm still slightly trying to. Um, <laughs> I've relegated you guys to allies, which uh, I said to Max Carson, cool who was very irritated about it. It's fine. Um, yeah, just mm. be, it's better than just saying my scaly mates or something like you know. <laughs> it could be more offensive that's true he said he doesn't want to be a sidekick and if he can't be a feminist then he's going to be an anti-feminist i think that was the, that was the claim i have nothing big like that to say <laughs> <laughs> well well but both of your books the first being gender critical feminism and and your latest sex matters which which is coming out soon uh, are being they're being released in in fairly quick succession. What are you covering in this new book that that wasn't covered in the last one? Well, the last one was really sort of focused on gender critical theory, gender critical feminism as this kind of emerging feminist movement. What is this thing? What is the sort of political movement? What is the theory behind it? If there is one, what are its kind of core issues? What is it about? Um, and it had some discussion of trans, but it was just one chapter. It also talked about sex work. It talked about intersectionality. It talked about how gender critical feminism fits with liberalism. Um, this new book is a collection of nine essays and it really kind of zooms in on the trans issue, the sort of what I see as the conflict of interest between trans women and women. Um, and I did also zoom in on the prostitution chapter of the last book, and I've just finished another book with a co-author that's like a debate over liberal versus radical feminism. So I've sort of been pursuing the bits of stuff in the gender critical feminism book into other work. But this is really like taking up and grappling with the trans issue just in all the unaskable questions, <laughs> just trying to like ask them and work them through as an analytic philosopher and see where I get to. Well, you've uh, written an entire essay on this question, uh, so I'm expecting a very uh, good answer to this. Do arguments for trans women are women succeed is the question. So what are the most compelling arguments for the claim? I think that's going to be the second most controversial essay in the book, so I'm quite looking forward to engaging with the public on... <laughs> the, the haters, the, tw- the, the high Twitter haters. Oh, you can imagine the posters they'll design. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yes. 
Oh yeah, things. Well, luckily our nemeses do not read, so um, there won't be any content-based critique after. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> um, I think from memory, and it's been a while since I read it, which probably sounds bizarre to you. You be it'll be much fresher in your memory than mine. But I went through a large handful of different arguments for the claim that trans women are women. Some of them were truth claims and some of them were just claims about why we should say it, um, even though it actually isn't true. And I believe I argued that they're all wrong. Is that right? <laughs> yes. 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 So, so, you know, just a, a couple of them. One, one seemed to be a moral argument, which is it's the right thing to do. So we say trans women are women because it's the right thing to do. Or um, trans women are women because if we keep saying it, then it will encourage people to perform positive actions i guess yes it's just the last one i was quite pleased with that there were like three or so at the i tried to kind of gather the ones that people have offered like usually philosophers have offered but then i just made some up because i was trying to be charitable like oh maybe there's better ones that you could just mm. make up that would work and i think the one that i found the most like almost convincing to me which has a really annoying name, it was this, I borrowed this political philosopher's idea, which he annoyingly called responsibilization, which is a made up word. <laughs> no, I hate those words. Those words, uh, when I read them in academic papers, I just go, yeah. oh, stop it. Yeah, but he knew, I think he even said when he introduced it, like it's, he had some wry phrase that was like, although it's not a beautiful word, in this world, we'll have to do like it was something like this. But I think his idea was that he was talking about moral responsibility. And he thought sometimes we treat the agents that are not yet morally responsible, like children, we treat them as though they are responsible in a bid to make them so. So it's a kind of enculturation into the eventual like behavior that we want to see. So I sort of explored that for for women, for trans women, like, yeah, we, we, we say trans women are women, and we treat trans women as women, because that's a sort of way of making it so, like mm. we'll we'll commit to it, and they'll eventually we like get. We want fast swimmers. We want like good powerlifters. <laughs> <laughs> so let's make it so. Let's make it so. Yeah. But, but my favourite uh, argument, uh, well, rather the one that was most um, uh, uh, interesting to me, was this. It was one that was saying that uh, trans women are women. There's something in 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 this expression that. Uh, brings language to a, a problem that that perhaps trans women uh, couldn't articulate without the words. Do you know what I mean? So, and I think the 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 um, analogy you gave was, but the word sexual harassment in the way that that uh, had a, had a way of communicating to other women and to men mm. uh, in a shorthand the way women felt with uh, about a certain you know a certain kind of behavior towards them yeah. and so it was like the having that lang that th this language uh, to identify their grievances and, yeah. and their problems was 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 very useful and, and so therefore what we're dealing with now is the very birth of, of a new language and perhaps now we can start to talk about the, the 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 grievances of trans women because we have the language now. Yeah, that's the hermeneutical injustice argument, I think, yep. um, which is a very popular. Uh, people love to say those two words together in philosophy. There's a whole cottage industry of coming up with new 
hermeneutical injustices and testimonial injustices. But you know, I can't remember how I resolved that because did I end up saying that that was ultimately unsuccessful, I think. Um, but it sounds great now that you say it like that. Well, I think that's why it's popular <laughs> because it's, it seems... You know, uh, it, it does have a, a, a um, it's it's got a, a good a woke jitsu feel uh, feel about it. Yeah. Like you, you can't, I wouldn't know how to get out of that lock. You yeah, know? I'd have <laughs> I would have to appeal to the fact that I would have to maybe go. I'd have to say, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that trans women are opting into, uh, um, uh, you know, um, uh, femaledom. You know, they're opting into. Uh, something that they see as well something that what you know uh, that they don't have to choose to be necessarily um, uh, subjugated do you know what I mean like that's a that that's a choice you, you're, you're saying oh well like because ultimately if they're biological males yeah you know maybe that that creates a bit of a, a tension there yeah 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 that seems right I mean I guess the only if someone is an oppressed group and they come up with a new concept that helps them articulate their oppression or their disadvantage and no one else is using that concept, if it's new, right? Like non-binary was new. It would mm. be very hard to think of a reason why you should not allow that or give that concept uptake. Mm. But if the way that a group articulates its oppression is by appropriating someone else's existing concept and changing the meaning of it, then you have a conflict of interest, right? So I, I can't, again, I just don't remember how I resolved that, but that's it, one. It felt like that. You, what you're saying is that yeah, the uptake is the, is the thing. It's it's the fact that like, sexual har harassment comes out yeah. like an album and everyone buys it and yes. it says, and, it, and it, it catches on like wildfire. Because whereas, it's useful, right? It's, well, it's useful. useful and it feels true and it's on mass and, yeah. and therefore, but this other thing where it's like trans women or women, it just doesn't, seem to wash in right. the same way it seems that we you have to do mental gymnastics to make it work and to, to be you have to be really charitable to a fault to make it work it's interesting because it's like my objection to it of course is feminist right it's like excuse me women is taken like that's a political concept that we need to do feminism with it's not just fucking floating around free for you to take and use and completely change the meaning of but i think what you're saying is like more just ordinary people have not given this idea of trans women and women uptake not because they're feminists and they give a shit about cultural appropriation of our political concepts they could care less right most people think feminism is done now and we're still whining about nothing so it's just that that trans women and women hasn't had uptake as a new concept yeah well i it's, think you're it's, right it's basically like um you know google glass or facebook glasses or something yes. like it's just not this didn't work didn't pan yeah. out you know, yeah. we tried them on. I look. I put them on. I saw everything as trans, and I was like, "No, this this, <laughs> this doesn't work. This doesn't work for me. <laughs> this is no good." Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, it's funny that I'm like just experiencing my arguments afresh because I don't remember them. So it's like, yeah, what a great conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get you ready. I'm trying to get you <laughs> battle ready. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll need to reread it, won't I, before it comes out um, to be prepared. Well. No, no doubt that there are people out there suffering from from bona fide gender dysphoria, but but people don't seem to be able to fathom that that men would ever exploit self identification to excel at sports or get famous or get their rocks off or or worse, sexually assault women. You know, they seem to treat anyone who comes out as as a trans woman as some sort of divine being. Yeah. Why, why is that? 
great question that I do not know the answer to. I mean, I guess the, yeah. I mean, one thing I've heard like trans activists say, or sort of in the early days before they stopped speaking to me, um, was that like no man or like, you know, anyone with like toxic masculinity, quote unquote, no such man would ever sink to the level of claiming to be trans. Like that's such, that would be such a source of shame for him. I so I think us, us blokes have done some pretty awful things in history, I, you know, <laughs> but put, those people have never, wig. I know, but I think, I think the interesting counter to that is that, that is just, that is such bullshit. Like, I would just direct those people to all the sissy porn on online. I haven't oh, seen yeah. it, Ricky. Ricky. I haven't seen it. I've just heard about it. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> don't what quiz me, mate. About? Don't quiz me. I'm just saying, it's out there, and what that reveals is the is the depths of depravity in in the male psyche, you know. And and I feel like that is never never mentioned. You know, we we jump straight to this this beautiful bombshell it's always a bombshell it's never the demure librarian yeah. trans woman it's always a bombshell it's always saintly and or childlike like dylan mulvaney or whatever yeah no it's true yeah so i guess part of it is like yeah this idea that sort of the alpha male would just never sink so low like that's completely outside his repertoire uh and he's the only dangerous male which is also stupid like as if it's just this narrow and identifiable class of men that pose any risk of violence to women and then this idea of the like parallel to sexual orientation right so there's just this innate transness and trans people know who they are and any man who comes out as trans yeah he must have been struggling with that forever and of course it's true who would lie about their eternal like internal essence that's just like of course they're being honest who would yeah no one's gonna like game the system with that um there's no yeah. money to be made. There's no money yeah. to be made. There's no... <laughs> it's totally legit. Bud Light contract. Yeah, exactly. So I do, I think it's just like naivety on the part of the public and then sort of well-meaning, bleeding heart, like liberals just wanting to be kind and support minorities. And, you know, trans really has become the sort of like pet of the left, right? Like it's mm. very much, it's fashionable, small handbag. But I've or... heard people who would count themselves as like, just, you know, I've heard people who were just ma total secularists and would tear down every religion except Islam. They'd probably section that off for various intersectional reasons. But, like, that, they would just... If you just said, oh, I'm, I'm a person of faith, they would have no qualms looking in the eyes and just saying, your religion is a joke. It's just filled with rapists and pedophiles and it's you're disgusting. And the idea of what? Well, it's a soul. That's ridiculous. And then you could... But then, on the other hand, they'd probably fully believe in the gendered soul, this idea of an essence within you, yeah. an idea that within you, you just feel your 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 transiness or whatever it is your gender your gender woo woo sort of stuff and so i i can't like make these two ideas go together like why is one idea why is the father son and the holy ghost ridiculous and the idea of an inner just an inner feeling wheeling in my tum tum why is that okay you should write children's books <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe the difference is that, like, if you just kind of look out at the world, sex difference, it looks real, right? So men and women do kind of, they are visibly different types of person. And then we have all these stereotypes. Of course, we can argue about how much of that really is innate and how much is socialized. I'm happy to have that argument. But, you know, 
there is some clustering of traits to the male type and some clustering of traits to the female type. So that that's not a religion, right? That's a sort of fact. So it makes it easy to look out on the world and be like, oh, two types of humans. Yeah, of course, I can totally understand how there can be a crossed wires or a mismatch or a whatever their folk theory of this like early development switcheroo that makes sense to them. And, and then, of course, you see some evidence of this, right? Really young boys being hyper feminine or effeminate. Um, and that, again, looks like, yeah, or like tomboys, really kind of like masculine girls that look like it's easy to culturally interpret that as like, oh, the other one sort of the other personalities landed in the different body. So I think, yeah, just the like the difference of the Pixar. sexes. It's like a Pixar movie. Yeah, but it may, it is culturally, I don't want to say, it, yeah, the fact that there looks like there's two types of human make it intelligible that there could be a sort of a mix up of the two types between the body and the the mind. And so I think that's why it doesn't look like gender woo in the same way that religion looks, right? Because it just, it's right there in front mm -hmm. of you in a sense, sex difference. Yeah. But it, 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 it may be just my perspective or, or exposure, but, but I feel as though trans men don't get the same amount of accolades, awards, or, or media exposure as trans, as trans women do. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Do you have any theories as to, to, to why that is? <laughs> what a low-hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. What does the feminist think? The explanation of the marginalization of female people. Yeah. I mean, um, but why aren't they hopping mad about it? Why aren't trans true. men? Yeah, like yeah. that's the embarrassing thing. Like we all well, obviously we're on a unity ticket about why it's happening. It's women. So the common element is that it's biological females, right? Yeah. So and whatever biological females say, they just need to shut up. Is basically what we're saying. And so why aren't why are trans men acting not? Uh, why are they acting against their own interests? Why aren't they hopping mad? They should say we're trans men. And isn't it weird that no one talks about us as well? I mean, can't you just ask that question for all of women's history, though? Like, why aren't women mad? Why haven't they been so much more mad than they have been? Like, they're just like a completely like domestic labor class for like 2000 years or something. Mm. And they're not mad. Or one of them's mad and writes one book for 500 years. And everyone else is fine with it. Like, I guess that's just the the a lot of people believe in difference to the point of like allowing subservience. And I don't know. I, it's not surprising to me, I guess, as a feminist that like trans men aren't being loud and indignant about their sort of invisibility. Cause so many women just seem to kind of calmly accept their lot and be sort of submissive. And that's just like a woman's role in life. I mean, that's all around the world. Um, I mean, another thing that would be maybe more constructive to say than the sort of feminist explanation would be that like trans men just pass better. And if they really wanted to sort of achieve the dream of living as a man, they just fucking get on with it and do it kind of quietly. The only people they're telling are their sort of intimates. Um, mm. And so they don't want to draw attention to themselves and become a sort of like spokes person for the trans movement they don't want to be a trans person they want to just be a man and they don't have to ever buy a cake for an office party ever again <laughs> yes exactly yes, yeah. ever again you just, they yeah. just have to go oh, and they, yeah, again they have that impulse they go yeah it's ryan's birthday and they're like no wait i'm a guy i don't give a fuck about that <laughs> <laughs> so, no cakes we're done yeah <laughs> i'm all about the number one i'm all about me let's go and lift 
What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine that would be a um, appealing thing to just sort of disappear into that that new life. So the book, um, you have had some issues with this book. Uh, Indeed. Coming coming to fruition. So, Which is weird because the previous book, you had problems with that too. This is okay. Returning to my initial thing here, there seems to be a common theme here is that uh, problems are coming up. So can you maybe run us through whatever you're able to of, of, of um, the, uh, what you ran into on the publishing side? Yeah, so um, I can't remember exactly the month, although this is somewhere in my censorship timeline because I'm finally allowed to tell the truth about it. Um, there was just a certain point, so I had a contract for it. Um, it had been a year under peer review, so it had gone to three reviewers and the editor had read it. Uh, I'd been following up for maybe about six months, every month or two, just asking like where things are at and when I'm likely to get the reviews. And then I just got an email dropping the book. This is virtually unheard of. I mean, the whole fight is to get a contract. And of course, if you're someone like me who works in a really controversial area where it's going to be difficult getting a contract, you make absolutely sure you have a contract before you start doing the work. Because otherwise you're just wasting two years of research somewhere that will never see the light of day. So I actually approached this publisher while I already already had the contract for gender critical feminism and was writing that same publisher. And I wrote and explained, man, I'm writing these journal articles and I'm just getting desk rejections or crazy ideological reviews. Like I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to get these papers placed. I know I'm quite young to have like a book of essays. Like that's quite usually something people do just before they die when they reflect on their illustrious career and pick their best papers. It's like, I know I'm probably pushing my luck a little bit. On but mortality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like meta philosophy or something, like do the meta oh, thing of yeah, whatever just, you're doing. Just a, you just got to sum it all up <laughs> at the end pretty much. Um, yeah, so I... I didn't know if it would be like to succeed, but he was into it, which was cool. So yeah, I got a contract and that gave me the security to spend the next two years or whatever writing. Yeah. So it was a huge shock um, just being dropped like that. And something kind of similar had actually happened with gender critical feminism too. They didn't just drop it, but it went into production and I had already done like the keywords and the abstracts and the like started copy editing, like all the stuff where it's just a few more months after that and the same thing they pulled it out of production and so i was like in this state of anxiety even about that book like fuck are they gonna put it through this process of like new review re-review and then decide they're not publishing that as well so it's just like they've seen some of those posters around the place <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean who knows and the first time there was no real excuse for it i think probably my best guess although i just won't ever know is that like woke employees inside OUP got a hold of it, right? And I think because that's at the point where they start talking to marketing, it was supposed to be a trade book, so it would be priced lower and then disseminated more. And I think at that point, the marketing people come in and then someone woke freaks out about it and then they have an internal problem. So I think that's probably most likely what happened with the first one. Sally in social media crying yes. at her desk. Yes, <laughs> exactly, with a rainbow lanyard on. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then so the second book, I I fought it. I, I got the free, free speech union involved um, and I fought it and we were able to come to a sort of amicable 
uh, agreement about how to proceed. And amazingly, it's kind of, yeah, it's back in production and it's coming out in July, which is a fucking fantastic outcome. But given if you, how- because if you had, just, I mean, it's obvious to say, but if you had just rolled over and said, okay, all right, that's it, right? Like it's just no book. That's it. You yeah. wrote it too bad. They walk away and then do what they're going to do and it's all fine. Absolutely. Like they have all the power, like, and the contracts are actually insane. Like no one reads them because we're just academics. Like we, it all works on trust. Sometimes you don't even know if you, like, if you're just writing an article, you, you wouldn't even really know if you had a contract. Maybe you did. You just go look in the folder and see, like, it's like that. It just works sort of on trust. Right. So yeah, I think with, that's right. I got legal advice on the first book when they did this, when they kind of decided to re-review it and pull it out of production and there was a kind of clause about the quality of it where it just looked like I just didn't have a leg to stand on. Like they can just say um, using this particular clause that like I haven't delivered the work in the shape. You know, there's so much subjectivity built in that they... Could you then take that to, to a different publisher or they own the book and they just don't release it? Oh, no, that I think they would always release it um, and they'd be glad to like give you your rights back and kind of wash their hands of it. But then, yeah, you needed another brave enough publisher to mm. take on a book in that area and one that OUP, which for my discipline is by far, like by a large margin, the very best press. There's sort of a, like a people argue about um, the ethics of, what do they call it? It was a hilarious, I think it was called Prestige Monopoly. <laughs> There's this lengthy blog post in the like left wing We've got a left-wing and a centrist disciplinary blog, and the, I think it was Prestige Monopoly. It was like, oh, this publish is too good, and it's way better than the rest, and we can't all publish there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so you would, you know, if that press has rejected it, like on worries about toxicity and backlash grounds, that's going to put fear into the other presses, and mm. yeah. If you get so, dumped by Scarlett Johansson, exactly. <laughs> someone who's as hot as her is not just going to call you up. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Is that what you were thinking? Right That's now? basically. Anyway, uh, well, look. I mean, I, I mean, I've got such basic questions about this. Publishers surely have been dealing with this woke nonsense for years now, and um, th- they were probably the first to start dealing with it. Uh, it seems from the outside that every time this happens, it's like the first time for these people. So, how many times does your barn have to burn down before you have a really simple and robust set of policies and procedures in place? Like shouldn't there almost be like an automated response which basically says you know uh we don't respond to terrorists like yeah because again you're a philosopher because i don't understand how intellectually i ca- i can't it doesn't hold any water like if we fold on this instance for outside influence so non-internal uh pressure if we do it this time um we have no integrity it doesn't exist. We, 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 we are basically slaves to whoever comes along. So that it kind of needs to be like two keys in a submarine like or something like for the, for the, for the uh, nuclear uh, missiles. It needs to be like the, the person needs to say, I can't actually cancel this book. I'm sorry. Like, you know, so Sally comes in. She's crying, right? She's going, I'm so uh, – this bigot, Holly, Kiwi, what's-her-face, I don't know. She's saying, <laughs> she's saying all these, these shitty things. And then they just got to look at her and say, I'm Sally, I'm so sorry, like – it's all sewn up. I can't. I actually can't do yeah. it. Like I'm not allowed to. Like, so you're going to have to go into the bathroom and like 
clean up your mascara and just get back to work. I thought you were going to yeah. say kill yourself. Well, <laughs> I would never go that far, Ricky. I'm not like the other side, you see. So, yes. but, but so, what, what do you what do you think, Holly? I know I'm being very naive about this, but where, where is their integrity? This is this is their only. They had one job, which is to do what they said they were going to do. I know, and they're also such a like old and esteemed press. I think it was something like 800 years old. Like I'd have to check that, but it's yeah, they're like a reputable, really old, long-standing press that surely knows what a press stands for and surely has been through many historical controversies right um but i do wonder if like i guess all this sort of new culture war stuff the like toxicity of the activists maybe this was their first time uh, um is that crazy like no, but they go they go uh i was you know, uh, like, so if they were doing the James Joyce stuff, like if the, if the obscenity trials were happening, they'd just come out and say, well, we've decided uh, we've got some meanies on social media and <laughs> we are not going to release the book. Like, you know, like, it's crazy. Like, there are, there are so many. I'm sure they've got, like, tote bags with D.H. Lawrence and James Joyce walking mm. around that office and you look around and you go, hey, guys, you know, these guys are like, you know, I know they're guys, which is bad, but, like, you know, these novelists are... Uh, were cancelled for like obscenity you know and we don't want to do that again right we know how that pans out so it's just ironic to me it was was probably there was probably a a james joyce tote bag on the desk of the person who sent you the email saying you be cancelled you know like that i just it just blows my mind like the 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 bizarre i know that i've got this west wing idea of how these places work you know it's the best of the best and it's not just you know people just muddling on but it to me it's staggering you've got that 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 it's venerable it's oxford they've got all the leather bound books like yeah. you know they're all there's really smart people i'm sure to get in there and then they just do something like someone at the meeting goes i was thinking about it i was thinking about it um you know the book that um uh that says some controversial stuff i'm thinking people said we shouldn't do it and i, th- I don't think we should do it because they said we shouldn't do it and no one in the meeting goes uh just that's a lovely idea I'm just wondering if that if we should not do what you just said because it sounds silly. But I'm wondering if the thing that we're overlooking is that the the direction of the power stuff has completely flipped. So like I imagine what it was like in the older in the olden days is that there was a kind of like religious or moral establishment and they were the power holders and then the people that are like fighting with them are the progressives, right? So the progressives want to get their like new cool stuff through. So it's always like progressives versus like the establishment, yes. righty, conservative, whatever. And that is now the opposite. Like, so now you've got a lot of like people accepting these ideas of like, yeah, internalized racism and privilege and dominance and like needing to make space for minorities and then it's the minorities coming in and claiming like oh like of course you guys wouldn't know this because you lack the standpoint or the lived experience but we're telling you this stuff is hurtful uh causing symbolic violence whatever that is you know and so it's much more difficult for the people like the people in power back then could just be like oh fuck off with your progressive ideas and so you have that fight but now it's like the person has to say i don't care like i the middle-aged white man who's been in this like well-paid job has to say he doesn't care about what you the young black lesbian say is hurtful to you that is like a total flip of 
the power politics, it's much harder for him to say no fuck off. Yeah. Well, we we were talking to Will Kingston recently about this, and and there is a culture in in corporations and organisations now where uh, where where there is a lot of pandering to the workforce of of that particular organisation because nowadays people they don't just want to clock on and take home a paycheck they want to feel like they're changing the world and that yeah. that their job has some sort of higher meaning outside of just earning that paycheck yeah but it, i mean look I'll, I'll knock it on the head because it, i just can't get my head around it i don't understand these people particularly at a place like this like you know for me the conversation's over once you start like you can say all those claims you said before about you know the the, the radical progressive stuff but once someone said yeah and you know what like you know shakespeare I mean, is he that good? You know, I mean, like William Blake, I mean, was he even that good? Like, I mean, to me, I would just be like, oh, okay, all right, well, conversation's over. Like, you, 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 yes, he is that, they are that good. So, well, well I feel you're like, out. John, I you, feel like, John, you're out. it's over. You, you made a good point. Like, there needs to be a mechanism in place where, you know, what, once you get to a certain point, which, it, which, you know, obviously it has done with your book, Holly, where people have reviewed, it's gone through a process of but you could vetting even, it. You know, isn't that enough? But you could even call it. Like you could make your big. You know how the Chicago uh, was it university did that big time freedom of speech like yes. letter or yeah. whatever, right? You've got to do something big, and you've got to give it a name, a fancy name, and it's got to be like a, you know, like like a clause where you go, well, we're the only place that actually does this. Where when you come on board, like once we've agreed to do it, like we'll, we're, we're it's right or die, and yeah. we'll go we'll go down with you. We'll get shot up with you. Like we won't just pussy out and go. Oh, I think it's getting a bit hot. Like, you know, I think I might just like not do that. Here, let's release this trans beat poetry instead. I know. I know. But I guess, again, just trying to be like as charitable as possible, maybe this was Oxford University Press's first experience like, first rodeo. In, in this new climate. <laughs> yeah. And they sort of tried to chicken out a bit with me, but they on my first book, but they held their ground in the end um, against the open letters and stuff. They put out a good statement saying the scholarship was rigorous, you know. So then they chickened out the second time around at the point where they, like, were able to get out of it, probably because they didn't want the hassle of the first one. Uh, So I'm just thinking if it's true that it's their first rodeo, I don't know if that's true. Maybe they've had it in other areas and this is an ongoing problem. But if it is, then those principles, yeah, they need to be written now in light of their experiences with me and they need to double down and come out for academic freedom. Well, and if they're listening, good job guys. <laughs> and I feel like give, giving them a, a little <laughs> principles award sticker and just going, here you go, <laughs> putting on their work. I don't know if you got that when you were young, Holly, did you a little principles award? It's like a scratch and sniff sort of a style sticker, but when you did really good work, it was like a foil sticker and it said principles award. And Are went, you predicting that I was an overachiever as a child? Well, <laughs> saying you're a bit of a nerd yes well i'd like to ask you a question about about the free speech union because we we just interviewed uh john well we've got uh, an episode with jonathan ailing coming out soon and, and he runs the free, free speech union in new zealand oh, what, cool. what was it like uh working with them and and you know they went into bat for you so how was that they've been awesome yeah i mean i'm so glad they exist and um I read this very cool paper recently by a law professor at Georgetown about campus free speech and what it's going to take to like really shore it up, which of course I'm super interested in because of my situation. Like how do I make myself safe into the future? And one of the things he was really pressing on is that you absolutely need something like the free speech union because otherwise the sort of costs for staff that are targeted pushing back and fighting are just prohibitive 
Like legal fees are insane when you have to pay them. Like, I'm not speaking from experience. <laughs> just saying they're like, oh man, that stuff is life destroying. So yeah, having a union that will like go into bat for you and that avoids paying those like absolutely, yeah, really like can be debilitating fees is amazing. So and amazing that I could be in Australia and the UK free speech union would would help me. It's not even like I had to be in the UK. Um, and I think there's FIRE doing the same work in the US. So, yeah, we really need to get something like that going in Australia. I hope that, I hope that will happen well, soon. Well, we asked Jonathan. We said, come on, mate. Like, you know, yeah. do something. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Help you us want, out. You want New Zealand to do yours for you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I, I did. I, I said, yeah. look, come on. He's like, oh, we're not thinking about it really. And I was like, well, come on, man. Like, you know, Ricky's going to get cancelled and you're going to feel really silly. So. <laughs> Just, just get your act together. I but, think, I don't know if this is actually public yet, so I have to find out, but I think there's discussions between the UK Free Speech Union and someone in Australia already. So I think it's like in the works, mm. but it might still be a way off. But I just love uh, the, uh, I, I'm obsessed with, uh, I've got a big imagination, so I'm obsessed with this. Mo- these these like universities and presses and stuff getting letterheads from that set that say stuff like freedom of speech i mean <laughs> you got if you're getting a letter from these from from an outfit called the free speech union or fire yeah. or whatever you blew it like you you 100 percent blew it like you had one job and that was just to, to play it straight and if you're getting that letter then i'm sorry like you a serious meeting needs to happen and because i know that these people don't even know because they're new institutions they don't know how bad they should feel about it they get they get the email and they go if this was from akon i'd be really sore they'd go but but i this i don't even know who these people are but they're accusing me of something and i feel like i should feel bad but it's about like this annoying book it's about holly like you know oh so i don't know i just i I love the idea of them having to deal wrestle with these things yeah well i mean i I, I I fantasize about about the first meeting like when when the representative from the free speech (laughs) union has to come in and say you know and and to give them their talking to Mm. i mean it's a bit different between the press and the university right so i guess like i can see the, the oxford university press should absolutely just be like uh, then I agree with you, John. They've just like absolutely blown it if they have to get any sort of letter like that. They have one job. But maybe with the university, it's a bit more complicated in the sense that they are trying to balance academic freedom against equality of opportunity hmm. for students. And I guess the more of a like, maybe it's hard to imagine in Australia as much. We like to think we don't have really like class stuff anymore but if you think about it somewhere more dramatic like india for example yeah like there is a real question of like how do you secure full inclusion of students across class lines for example and Mm. you can do that in any country you like with any very marginalized minority group you like so i can sort of see how like yeah okay it's kind of a good thing that unis have started thinking about how to do more to make space for genuinely marginalized populations not fake marginalized populations mm, i was gonna say the moment activists. they start caring about working class people if you want to talk about class like that's fantastic you want that's to talk fantastic about class, exactly that's great i'm on board but and then maybe you, you shouldn't raise the price of humanities degrees but that's something but then you would if then you wouldn't be objecting if they were like somehow doing something that would like go against these 
sorry, what I mean is if the university would like put policies in place that would like really work hard for the inclusion of like working class people, but that somehow meant a, like a cost in speech, like say you just couldn't have your elites saying really classist shit anymore. I don't know. It's hard to imagine because people don't do that, but just imagine it's like there's like a hit to free speech for the inclusion of this genuine minority and then you've got your free speech union writing in on the speech side. Maybe you'd be a bit more sympathetic to like exactly mm. where that right balance is. It's yes. just like, as you say, they're complete hypocrites when it comes to the real minorities and they don't do the things that they could easily do to make things more inclusive for those people. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, b b before we wrap up this interview, I, I have to share a story that, that Jonathan Ayling told us in, in our interview recently. And he represented a mortician who accidentally misgendered a dead person and got fired. What the actual fuck? <laughs> you thought you had problems. Yes. <laughs> in, in New Zealand? Yes. So mm. I, I, uh, I would have loved to have been there the day that he rocked up to, to the mortuary and went, I'm from the Free Speech Union. I believe you just fired Moira here for whatever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, okay, but the Free Speech Union did get involved Yes. Has yeah. this guy got their job back? We don't know the outcome uh, yet. Th it was a positive outcome. I yes. can't remember what, what it was. It was okay. a money or his job or whatever. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's where we're at. Wow. Yeah. Man, the, this just the sensitivities on this topic are just like, things are really out of control, aren't they? Absolutely. <laughs> I hope there's an end in sight. It's things exotic. It's exotic. It, I mean, there's, there is no way that in 20 years we can be this this excited about it. Like, oh, no. You know, yeah. There's just no way. Like, I mean, already it's a bit boring. You know what I mean? Like, like when, if, someone, if someone, someone says I'm non-binary, don't you just go, oh, God. Can't we talk about MasterChef instead? It's more interesting. You know, than what yeah. you got up to last night. Which is no. nothing, by the way. They got up to nothing. They're just saying, you know. Yes. Anyway, that's my deal. Uh, Holly, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Yeah, it was nice to talk to you again. So, Holly, when is the book out? I think it's coming out in July, unless something goes wrong, but let's hope it doesn't. So, yeah, July. Okay, well, fingers well, crossed. And it's uh, expensive. I'm sorry. It's very, I won't say order it because it's fucking 60 pounds or something. So, maybe photocopy your friends version or ask me if you want to read one of the essays and i'll, I'll send it to you <laughs> well uh we all you know we always end with this question what are you reading right now ollie oh i'm still i started reading about seven weeks ago this first fiction novel featuring a lesbian in australia it was scandalous at the time and she had to write it under a pseudonym but it was um, she won a literary prize for it and used part of that used that money to fund part of the first women's lands in Australia. So it feels very like historic and cool to me. Wow. And one thing I'm really loving about it is that her ex explanation of like being like in the 70s as a lesbian and like wondering whether to tell people is exactly the phenomenology of being a turf today. It's like you meet a new person and you're like, oh, shall I disclose it? Will they stigmatize me? Like, will I be accepted? Um, so wow. I'm finding it really interesting. But yeah, I'm still like halfway through and then semester has been so busy that I haven't picked it up in ages. So. Okay. Does it have a title? Or? Oh, the title is All That False Instruction by Karen Higgs. Yeah. Okay. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. Yeah, it's cool. It's, I'm really enjoying it. Well, from what I can remember, I was really enjoying it. Yeah. All right. 
Well, uh, oh yes. Well, you know, let's 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 do some plugs. Where can people find you online? And and uh, you have you also have a, a a video podcast. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Um, well, I'm finally back on Twitter since late December, so you can find me there. Um, H L S A Y T C H E L L E S S E. I think. And I've got a YouTube channel under my name and also more appealingly, uh, Feminist Heretics, which we do like educational feminist stuff. We recently, at John's insistence, had a rebrand. So you can go there and see sexy pictures by <laughs> Nina Paley. Sex- <laughs> Not properly sexy, but sexy, like cool. <laughs> Just, you know, listen to my mansplaining <laughs> and you will win. In no, you were super helpful. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks so much, Holly. Always great to chat. Yes. Thanks, Holly. Great. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.